0: You are listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast. My name is John Mahalik. I'm a seminary trained author and speaker with over 25 years' experience encouraging others in the areas of spiritual life change and authentic relationship. My goal is to bridge the things of eternity with everyday experience. The current episodes in this podcast are sermons that I delivered while pastoring a church in the country of Honduras. If this podcast encourages you and helps you, can I ask that you please write a review and leave a rating? It will simply help more people find the podcast who may, like you, be searching for more purpose and meaning. Thanks again for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. We are in the middle of a series called Belonging to Him. Uh, the, the idea, if you're new, is belonging to God. What does that mean? Uh, how does that look like uh, from the standpoint of the salvation story? Uh, familiar themes that you and I often have uh, heard about and learned about the gospel. How does belonging to God affect uh, my own life, my own transformation? How does it affect the way I belong or relate to other people? Uh, So we're in sort of a subsection of that series called our need for loving relationship The premise of the series is that we have this deep need for personal relationship And that should point us to our need to belong to god So what does it look like to to have a need for loving relationship love? Um, This is the third week for that Uh, The first week we talked about love we talked about the fact that god doesn't just so love the world He didn't just so love the world that he sent his son He so loved me He so loved you and your individual uh, self, your past, your present, your future, your weaknesses, your strengths. God loves you, right, for who you are. And then last week we looked at God's embrace, the embrace of grace, similar to the prodigal son when he he was coming back to his father and his father was running to him with outstretched arms. That's how God is when it comes to us, that he, he has his outstretched arms Wanting to invite us to return to him in forgiveness and grace. Uh, some people might call that an unconditional love. We're going to kind of talk about that idea this morning a little bit. But God does accept us. He does invite us to come to him as we are. That's a, that's a strong element of God's love. But if you don't have a sense of that, I encourage you to study that, to think about that. That God loves us for who we are. We don't have to improve ourselves or become different or perfect in order to come to Him. That's part of God's love. So this morning, we are going to be talking about a third quality of God's love, meaning how does truth relate to God's love. Um, The the next weeks after this, we're going to be transitioning into our need for true relationship, our, our need for true relationship. And so this week is sort of a transitional week. It's, it's how, does, how does truth relate to God's love? True love in relationship. We all have a need for loving relationship. And that need is ultimately fulfilled through relationship with Christ. But loving relationship in Christ has at least two sides to it, two elements. Acceptance, which we touched on the last couple weeks, but it also has expectation god accepts us for who we are but part of god's love a quality of god's love is there's also expectation the woman caught in adultery is a famous story and if you're not familiar the the woman is caught in adultery she's brought before jesus to test him they say should this woman be stoned shouldn't she be stoned according to the law And he says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And so these people are convicted and they all leave. And then Jesus says to the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. Go from now on and sin no more. And to me, these two phrases in many ways encapsulate the gospel for me. They are the fuller scope in the sense of what God's love looks like. He says, I don't condemn you. She was caught in the act of a grievous sin, according to the law. But he says, I don't condemn you, right? He accepted her for who she was, even in the midst of her sin. But he doesn't leave it that way. He also says, go and sin no more, right? So we see acceptance and we see expectation, acceptance and expectation. Both were a loving act on Christ's part. We see acceptance and expectation in different relationships, mentors, teachers, parents, coaches, right? These people invite us to join them in whatever capacity, whatever relationship, and they accept us for who we are, whatever the raw material is right, when I'm joining a sports team or I'm, I'm starting a new class or, or I'm being mentored by somebody. They accept us for who we are. They invite us. They embrace us, right, in whatever capacity. However, they're also helping us up. They're, they're taking us to a new place, right? We, this is very common in many of these relationships, and I know there's a number of mentors, teachers, parents, coaches in the room. John 1 is another example of acceptance and expectation. Jesus, when he first meets Simon Peter, he says, You are Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this is not an accidental use of, of, of these names. Very often God is, in, God is into name changing in the scriptures. And very often the, the change of name speaks to how God is transforming us. So this is a great uh, a way, way to look at mentoring or working with somebody. Meaning, here's who you are. We're not ignoring it. This is who you are. There's, there's good and there's bad to who you are. You are Simon, and I accept you for who you are. He said, come follow me. You shall be called, Cephas, you shall be called the rock Peter. And if you know Peter's story, there was a long process where he was turning into this rock, <laughs> This, this bedrock of the early Christian church. That took a long time, and it took a lot of patience and perseverance on the part of Jesus in working with Peter. You know, Peter even denied Christ, but he returned to him. So he had this vision for who Peter could be, but it started out with who he was, acceptance and expectation, Some parallel terms for acceptance and expectation related to this morning, love and truth, right? Love has a parallel to acceptance. Truth, in many ways, has a parallel to expectation. Or we can say true love. (laughs) True love is a cultural term that we always use when it comes to romance, right? My one true love. Someday I will have true love, and that's that's a great thing that we talk about. But what does true love look like when it comes to belonging to him in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So the best picture of God's love, the fuller scope that we were talking about at the end last week, is that he accepts us for who we are, but then he invites us to grow into who we can become in him. Acceptance and expectation, love and truth. In this sense... In our need for loving relationship, we especially need God's true love. God's true love. So what does that look like? Here are some house rules. Uh, we see these signs in different houses. Perhaps you've had it in your own house before or you've seen it at other people's houses. It says, if you open it, close it. If you turn it on, turn it off. If you unlock it, lock it. Uh, if you break it, fix it. If you can't fix it, report it. If you borrow it, return it. If you make a mess, clean it up. Uh, What's the other one? If you move it, put it back. And if it doesn't concern you, don't mess with it. And if you don't know, ask. Now, (laughs) these are interesting house rules. But part of the the series, that, as I talked about, we're not just kind of discerning what is our relationship with God, but we're looking at relationship from a standpoint in, in how we can defend the gospel to ourselves and how, how can we share the gospel to others. And a lot of people will say that uh, to impose rules on anyone else is abusive. It's controlling, right? And in, in, the, in, in the spiritual sense, they'll say, this, you, you are trying to impose your values on me, right? You're trying to tell me how to live. But they forget that and they forget that in any given house, any healthy household, any healthy family, there are rules very often. There are expectations. In any loving family, the love is held together by different rules, different expectations. And so that's you know, in some ways this looks a little harsh. Well, here's another sign, maybe a little softer. Family rules, keep your promises. And then Pay with, uh, pay with hugs and kisses. Help each other. Uh, that's hard to read. Think of others before yourself. Say, I love you. Do your best. Say please and thank you. Always tell the truth. Laugh at yourself. Hug often. We talked about that last week. Use kind words. Love each other. So this is maybe more, more of the last week side of things, the embrace, the, the, the unconditional love maybe. However, you, know, you can still see the expectation you know, in, in these rules. These are family rules, but they're, but they're about loving each other in such a way that there are expectations. There are boundaries. There are standards that we want to meet in order to love each other well. So, this is a, so you sort of see two sides. Uh, I needed to include this one, house rules. Number one, the wife is always right. Number two, if the wife is wrong, see rule number one. That is a common rule in my household, so I thought I should include that. So house rules, right? The family rules is not necessarily this unloving, horrible thing. It's the way that we love each other well. There there are boundaries set on our life. There are standards set on our life not to control us, not not to be abusive, but to love each other well. It's the way we love. So how do we live under God's rule? How do we live under God's house? Live in God's family. There are different things that we can look at, but I'm going to focus here on Ephesians 4. And it says, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now we can get all holy and, you know, spiritual about this, which we probably should. But I look at this in a relational standpoint. This this to me in many ways looks like the way the house rules that we just saw, right? God gave kind of shepherds, these apostles, these prophets, right, to sort of play a sort of a parental role, right, for the objective of us growing up, right? That's what a family is. You know, man marries woman, they have kids, and, and it's about building us up into maturity, right? We, we focus on the kids, but, you know, as a, as a, when you get married, when you become a parent, there's a, there's a maturity journey for you, too, isn't there? So it's all about growing up. Now, even though it says we have these apostles and prophets, etc., it goes on to say that we no longer be children. This is the objective of God's household rules, so to speak, so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. That's the objective—that we're to grow up, you know. And if your five-year-old or your eight-year-old learn something on the schoolyard and they bring that behavior home, <laughs> maybe they have been decepted, right? They've been deceived by, by somebody, and you want to correct them. To, to live according to your family rules. That might be one example. But the other thing I want you to see here is that it says, so we may no longer be children. We, right? That, that even I think the apostles, the, the pastors, whatever, the teachers, even though they have a, a level of leadership in the flock, Paul is speaking in collective terms here that we no longer be children. And again, from a relational apologetic, if you're trying to talk about God's rules for life, to somebody who thinks that any kind of rules from somebody else is going to be abusive or controlling, I would say to to tell them, how are you really a grown-up, right? In the physical sense, you and I do mature. We become adults. We grow up. We learn how to pay our taxes. We take out the trash, we get a job, that kind of thing. So we feel like we're adults, and we are adults in many ways. We mature physically, emotionally, etc. And we also mature spiritually, but I think many of us, and certainly unbelievers, feel like we've sort of landed at the place of maturity and adulthood where we have a long way to go when it comes to that. And even Christianity, I mean, even the apostles and the prophets and everyone, we are all children. We are all children in the spiritual sense. And the ultimate parent in, in God's household is, is sort of the, the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they play the ultimate parental role. So none of us are, are, can abstain from the, the danger of being swayed by false doctrine or swayed from, from the things that the, the five- or the eight-year-old might be influenced on the schoolyard. Right? We all are subject to that. So we, we have to focus in God's household in such a way that the way he loves us best is to treat us like children who are growing up into him. And I don't think that any, there's any level of maturity that we get to where I, we should forget that we are always children when it comes to God as our parent. So it goes on. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him. So you see sort of the family objective here. Every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's using the illustration of of how the physical body works. But again, think about this like a family. Right? where every joint works together, where we're all growing up together. That's how the family works as well. We're all growing up together. Every person in the house over time, you know, p- parents have, have different ways of doing this, like with toddlers, they'll give them some level of responsibility. And the older the kid gets, they get more responsibility to contribute to the household. Right? So everybody is working together. Why? What's the objective? To grow into Christ's image. We are to grow up like children. And so the way the framework that we grow up in God's family is through true love, speaking the truth in love or living the truth in love. You have to have both. So there are separations we're going to be dealing with truth in the coming weeks, right? The truth of God, but but they're they're meant to essentially work together. And the best way that we can describe God's love in the fuller sense is that it is true love. It's not just love in isolation. Ultimately he says Andrew Lincoln at the heart of the proclamation of truth is love. And a life of love is the embodiment of the truth. The church reflects this relationship when its witness to the truth has love as its style and as its power. They have to go together. Truth and love have to coexist. This is the, at the corner of Truth and Love Avenue. Now, truth and love are supposed to go together. But spiritually and in some other ways, they often go at different crossroads. They head in different directions. Now, I would say that the, the coexistence that I'm talking about, right, the relationship between truth and love working together is one of God's many mysteries, one of God's paradoxes. We have others that we've talked about recently, God's sovereignty versus our choice, God's grace versus our works. What do we do in the light of God's grace, right? So there are paradoxes and mysteries that God gives us in scripture that we have to wrestle with. And there are different reasons, I think, for this. But I think one of them is that we do not Sort of become our own God. We do not claim this knowledge of good and evil because we have a handle on everything when it comes to the things of God. And so mystery and paradox tends to put us in our place to say, God, I don't get this, or I don't know what to do right now. I need you. So, but the problem is, you know, how is Jesus fully God? How is he fully man at the same time? That's a mystery. But the problem with mystery and paradoxes is, is people don't want to handle it. They don't want to deal with that tension. So they will usually go to one extreme or the other. So we have two different roads here. There are lots of people in different parts of our culture, in different organizations, families, and churches and denominations who will lean, in this case, to one side or to the other. They will be more of a truth church or I'm more of a truth person or I'm more of a love person. And it's, it's one of the reasons is because we can't deal with how w- those two work together, okay? Another reason, I think, is, is I'm going to talk about the fact that these things can be abused. And so that's another reason that people will lean to one side or to the other. Here's a photo of table salt. And those of you who have studied some chemistry know that the chemical symbols, the elements that make up table salt are Na. Sodium Cl chloride. Sodium chloride is table salt. And salt is a good thing, right? We we see in Scripture we're called the salt of the earth. Uh, Salt is a good seasoner. Uh, Salt is a great preservative. It has a benefit to our lives. It's something that we can eat within reason, right? But, however, if you were to separate these two chemical elements, it's not so good. N-A, sodium in its purest form as an element is flammable it's corrosive (laughs) it is not something you want to be messing with right? CL chloride sounds like what chlorine which is poisonous (laughs) not something I want to be putting into my body however when these two are combined they become something that is beneficial to us when they're combined they're beneficial when they're separate They can be poisonous. And the same thing applies to truth and love. Truth without love, love without truth. Truth without love can often lead to tyranny, to tyranny. A lot of the the problems that are the accusations against Christianity over history is that we've been tyrannical, we've been abusive, controlling, right? The Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, Uh, Some modern examples, people will say, if you are just focusing on hammering people with the truth, you can be abusive, such that sometimes in history, people have killed in the name of truth, and we can see that in other religions too. But here are some scriptural examples. Luke 11, Jesus is basically hammering the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. There were lots of things that Jesus accused the Pharisees of, but one of them was kind of being tyrannical leaders, judgmental, controlling leaders of the flock. And he's pointing out that a big reason for that is they are focusing on a, a practice that was commanded to tithe, right? So they're focusing on the truth. What can I do based on God's truth? to live the life that God wants me to live but what were they neglecting they were neglecting things like mercy and love and that sort of led to a tyrannical way of being spiritual another one similar jesus says i desire mercy and not sacrifice for i came to call the righteous not the righteous but sinners so the word sacrifice isn't sort of a general term i believe he's he's talking about the practice of the law the sacrifice, the religious duties of sacrificing animals and different things. Basically, he's saying, I desire love more than you focusing on the truth all the time, you focusing on the commandments, the fulfillment of the law. I need to, you to step back a little bit and say, all right, we need to be more loving here. So again, he's speaking to a people that spiritually, we're guilty of a type of tyranny. And when you and I just focus on doctrine— alone, in isolation, right? Sodium, chloride. Doctrine alone. Truth alone. What can I do to be a better Christian alone? It becomes tyrannical. It becomes something that is poisonous and controlling. And 1 Corinthians 13, famous passage, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge or all truth, but I don't have love, I am nothing. I am nothing. So it doesn't so much speak about the tyranny, but it does say that if we have knowledge or we have truth and we don't have love, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Love without truth can often lead to sentimental disintegration and chaos. Love without truth can often lead to sentimental disintegration and chaos. A classic example is the woman who is constantly abused by her husband or her boyfriend and she doesn't want to leave him why doesn't she want to leave him because she loves him or she doesn't want to lose his love now this is just an example there are lots of reasons in a scenario like that why a woman might stay in a relationship but i've i've personally heard it i've seen it that, that because she wants the security of that love in the relationship or because she really truly believes that her husband or her boyfriend loves her, she's going to remain in a, in a hurtful, abusive relationship. Love to her is, is something that blinds her to the truth that she's in an un- unhealthy relationship. That's, that's kind of a classic example. If we just focus on unconditional love without boundaries, without expectation... There can be all sorts of problems in our relationships. It can become poisonous. 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They were loving other things. There, we live in a culture, and many of us are guilty sometimes, of being in love with love. <laughs> I'm in love with love, love in isolation. What does John Lennon say? All we need is love. But in this case, not focusing on the truth in our love can lead to lawlessness, can lead to losing your salvation, right? There are, there are, there are consequences when we, when we focus on love in isolation and not assuming that it requires anything else. And Romans 6, are we continuing in sin that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says. Now, he was being accused as someone who is saying we are saved by grace, right? He, he's sort of talking about the hug that God gives us, this love that he gives us, this forgiveness. He was being accused, all right, well, you're, in your grace, you're just saying that people can do whatever they want to do and it's no big deal. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, God forbid, by no means am I saying that. God's grace has to include some level of expectation, right? Galatians 5, you are called to freedom, brothers, another place Paul is speaking. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So another encapsulation sort of, God, of God's house rules, right? How love and truth are supposed to coexist, you are given God's grace. God accepts you for who you are. You have a freedom in that. And that has to be the foundation that we, that we focus on. If we don't do that, we're going to be in tyranny ourselves. We're going to be condemning ourselves or judging other people all the time. So we have to start with that foundation of God's embrace. However, we don't want to use that freedom for, as an opportunity for the flesh. However, we need to love and serve one another. So love is related to acceptance truth is related to expectation and that has to coexist so what does true love in God look like exactly what does true love in God look like most laws or commandments exist for our benefit their purpose in this sense is loving so again if you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe in Christianity or, or saying you know you're imposing your rules on me or whatever, you can, you can talk, make an argument that is similar to this, that most laws, if they're good laws or commandments, exist for our benefit. A stop sign. A stop sign is a social law that exists for our benefit. What is, a stop, what is the purpose of a stop sign? It's to keep people alive, right? Right. It's, it's, to, it's to benefit you by, so you don't run into an intersection and get hit, and it's to benefit others who aren't going to be hit by you. However, a stop sign is a very rigid law. I mean, we, <laughs> we, there's, a, there's a place down the road that you might know, uh, Via Olympica, where there, nobody obeys the stop sign, but <laughs> it's something that's a little different for me. But, you know, when I was learning in, in uh, you know, driver's education, you were to come to a complete stop Right? You were to look both ways, and then you could proceed safely. Why? Because some government wanted to impose their values on me? No, because the government knew that there was a collective good to imposing this absolute objective law on me for my benefit and for the benefit of others. So that exists all over the place. We can look at civil law. We can look at lots of different laws. They exist for our benefit. They are loving, in a sense. Gravity. Gravity is a physical law that it would benefit us not to compromise if we're standing near the Grand Canyon or maybe at, a, at an open door on an airplane. Gravity is a law that you and I don't even think about that we respect. It exists for our benefit. There are benefits of like keeping trees and humans on the planet, you know, that kind of thing. But there are, there's, it's, gravity is a physical law. There are physical benefits or laws that exist for yours and my benefit. Spiritual, God's word. God's word is a spiritual law that we can also follow for our benefit. So if you're walking somebody through this argument, you could say, look, there are all sorts of objective laws outside of us that exist for our benefit. There are social laws. There are physical laws. Is it possible that there are also spiritual laws that aren't just there by somebody trying to say, this is how you should live your life, and and I want to control you, but they exist outside of us from a creator That are there for our benefit. That's an argument that you can make. 1 Corinthians 13 at the end says, Now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is a truth. (laughs) Love is superior, love is the greatest. But, answering John Lennon's question, is all we need love? Is all we need love? Is love just superior? Is, all, is that all we need? I think the answer is in part in Matthew 22. They are asking Jesus a question. They say, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. <clears throat> this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we just looked at that in isolation, we would say, ah, like 1 thir- Corinthians 13, all we need is love. However, it follows up with this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we are not escaping God's moral code, God's expectations that exist in places like the law and the prophets. Right? Love is the foundation. The word hang literally means like hanging on a door hinge or like a tree. Right? Love is the thing that holds up the boundaries the expectations, the discipline, the law, the moral code that God asks from us—it has to be the foundation. But they are coexistent. Love is the greatest. Love is superior, but love is not exclusive. Love is meant to work with God's truth, with God's commandments. We see this in Joshua 22 in the Old Testament. Uh, he is commanding some of the tribes, and he says, "Very, be very careful." to observe the commandment and the law, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways and keep his commandments and to cling to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So you see, love has this interplay with God's expectations for obeying him and following his commandments such that when Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he wasn't the first guy to say this. (laughs) right this has been something that had been established in the torah in the old testament code love and truth were were coexistent they had to come together if you love me how do how do I dem- you demonstrate that by by keeping my commandments acceptance and expectation i have accepted you and i have an expectation right if you really have accepted me if you really love me there's an expectation Now, again, the love, the expectation is not burdensome. It's based on the freedom of God's grace and God's love, and we have to found ourselves in that, but we can't do that to the exclusion of God's truth. Here are house rules from a coffee house. Unattended children will be given a shot of espresso and a free puppy. Uh, (laughs) Many of you have seen this. So, here's a guy who is i mean we've seen it and some sometimes there are our own children there are other people's kids restaurants coffee houses uh whatever kids that are kind of running roughshod and doing whatever they want and uh years ago i don't know if they still have this on tv there was the super nanny or whatever where the nanny would come in and and deal with these children that were just running everywhere and the consistent theme with the parent was i love my child i want to give them everything they want you know what what happened chaos right disintegration so again we want to come back to the place where we understand that we are children we we play parental roles some of us have spiritual leadership but we are all children we don't want to be no longer be children it says back in ephesians 4 but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ now, when we were kids and our parent grabbed us and said, you are not going to run around the coffee house anymore, that felt very controlling, right? Why are they you know, controlling our fun? Why are, they, why are they creating a situation where I can't do what I want to do? You know? When your kid wanted to run out into the intersection, what did you do? You grabbed them. <laughs> and, but the kid himself, their perspective was, why are you doing this to me? But then you grew up, you became a parent, you became a teacher or somebody who has other children around you, and you realize you weren't doing it just to control them or to make their life miserable. You were doing it because you loved them, right? The, the truth, the boundaries, the expectation on their lives was, was about love, was about love. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, it says in Hebrews 12, and he chastises every son whom he receives. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So, what does it mean in this case if we want to belong to Him? If you want to be a legitimate son or daughter of God, you need to humble yourself as a child. And know that this discipline, no matter how hard it feels at the time, is for your good. It is for your growth. It is a loving act. If you really want to be a legitimate son or daughter of God, you need to understand the full scope of God's love. We have this deep need for loving a relationship. We, we, it, it is a fundamental need that we all have. And we fundamentally need loving a relationship from God. We have to have the, I have to understand that God loves me individually. He doesn't just so love the world, he loves me, right? With all my hang-ups, all my issues, he loves me. I have to understand that if I go astray, God's arms are always outstretched for me to return. That I can always come to God as I am. That is a part of God's love. However, my need for loving a relationship isn't just acceptance, it's also expectation. God loves me for who I am but he doesn't want me to stay there he wants me to become more like him he wants me to live in the freedom of his grace but also the freedom of growth and maturity he wants us to live under his house rules not so that he can run us and be tyrannical but so that we can work together as a family of God to become more like him and live in both love and truth so The next coming weeks, we're going to be focusing more on what does God's truth look like? What is our need for true relationship? What does that look like? We've we've dealt with a little bit of transition here regarding that, but we need both. We need both God's love and God's truth. That would probably be called the greatest romance, God's true love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're humbled by your your grace we don't understand so often why you forgive us when we don't deserve it we're so grateful that we can turn back to you when we're living in doubt when we're living in sin we're so grateful that you offer that to others and those that we work with as teachers as ministers lord it's so tough to live in this tension when do we offer grace When do we offer expectation and discipline and consequences? But Lord, we know that this mystery brings us to you. It brings us on our knees to depend on you, to to know when we need your grace, to know when we need your your expectations or your discipline, but also to know when we can provide that for others, whether it's children, whether it's at-risk communities. Lord, I thank you that we can walk in this tension and depend on your truth and on your love, and live according to your principles founded in your grace and the fact that Jesus came to die for us so that we could live for him. I pray for these things in the name of Jesus. And I'll end with a scripture from First Peter. First Peter 1: 22 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Have a great week. This podcast is produced by Embrace What Matters Ministries and is available most anywhere podcasts can be found. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and please leave a comment or send me an email. To learn more about this ministry, my devotional book, and other writings, please visit EmbraceWhatMatters.com.